can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. Just want to quickly get it out of the way that I just had a little cry on the phone before we started recording. And now <laughs> We're I'm, like, okay. I'm like, hi, I'm fine. I'm totally I think, fine. no, I think it's really important to point that out though, because I think a lot of the time, especially with pieces of media... People just think that you're happy all the time when you're like putting stuff and, you know, we're always laughing and stuff, but it is good to see that. Actually, you know what that reminds me of? That video that Lily Brown did recently yeah, with her mum and she left the part in about her being in tears before they were recording. And I think that really just goes to show that you don't actually know what's going on behind the scenes. So yeah. Anywho. Anywho. Moving on. Okay. We're okay. So, <laughs> so we're fine. But I do finally have something. I have, I've been saving like all of my <laughs> stuff because we never have anything to talk about. I've been saving it up. <laughs> so the listeners may not be aware, but I'm obsessed with the new Bachelor, Lockie. Yes. <laughs> I haven't been watching it because I honestly find about like Neither I don't. Have I. I haven't been watching it, but people have been sending me updates about Lockie. Yeah. So someone sent me this DM because you know how he lives in Bali half the year and I always talk about moving to Thailand. But look, Bali's fine with me. <laughs> so someone, <laughs> someone sent me an inbox message and said, I posted like a story saying, wow, wish I'd applied to 2020 Bachelor. Yeah. And this person said, nah, don't even joke anymore. I'm actually gutted you didn't. Lockie literally is your guy living in bloody Bali half the year. Low key, hope no one wins so you can go for the kill. Oh, I hope he does a honey badger. Remember that season where he didn't pick either of them? And then someone sent me another message or like sent me a photo of him on The Bachelor going, he has to have the TV on to go to sleep. He really <gasps> is your perfect match. Oh, he's your I soulmate know. for sure. So basically I think he's my soulmate. If anyone knows Lockie personally, yes. can you please get in touch with him and just let him know that his soulmate <laughs> is actually on the outside world and her name is Hannah First. <laughs> And she's on Bumble. <laughs> um, if you know him, can you please like send him like, I think it's episode four and I talk about my beard. All this I think, episode. Because <laughs> I was once on a date and someone was like, I listened to the one about your beard and I was like, oh my God. Yeah, I love that though because then there's like everything's on the table. You know, you're not trying to go through that awkward phase where you pretend you don't poo or anything. Yeah, you know? I'm having, a, I think it might be episode, yeah, episode six. Hannah discusses all things she's learning about having facial hair and <laughs> discovers there's a silver lining to every story. <laughs> the silver lining, Lockie, because I shave the bottom half of my face, it, it exfoliates that area. So I may I may age at a slower rate. Yeah. We really have shared a lot of shit, haven't we? <laughs> I don't even know what's on this episode. Episode 52. <laughs> so on this episode. <laughs> yeah, what's on this episode? <laughs> Thanks, Anna. On this episode, we are talking about teeth clenching, as we promised a few episodes ago. We're also speaking to Dr. Leona Yip about scalp health and, of course, our products we didn't know we needed. So, Hannah, when we did your episode about your 
sleep hygiene routine. We did mention teeth clenching or grinding because I've personally suffered from this. Same kind of situation as you where it was kind of like a really, I was in a stressful job and I was really worried about it. And I kept waking up with a really stiff jaw and a massive headache. Have you ever grinded your teeth? No, I, I my sister does. Does she do anything for it or it just kind of comes and goes? I think she was going to, she was interested in trying Botox. You'll talk about that later, I'm sure. Yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked, remember how we had Dr. Madeline Duff on, who's a dentist? Yes. And funnily enough, she actually knows your sister. Yes. So I asked her a, a bit about grinding because I thought it'd be worth us talking about on here because as you just mentioned, Botox is a form of treatment for it, but it's actually called bruxism. So that refers to clenching and grinding of the teeth, but people can experience both clenching and grinding or only one of the two. So they are a little bit kind of different, but you can also do it when you're awake. So it's not, doesn't just happen when you're asleep, which is what I thought. I always like woke up with it, but apparently you can also do it while you're awake and not realize you're doing it. So some people experience that too, but it generally, as she said, is caused by periods of stress and anxiety. And it can also be linked with the position of your teeth and jaw. And that may not have like a triggering factor at all. It might just happen to you. But I wondered if it was like, actually really bad for your teeth because I've heard of people getting splints. And I think one of the girls in our team has a splint and she's also tried Botox as well, but I wondered what the effects were. And it turns out there is quite a few um, side effects from ongoing teeth grinding. And some of those are like sensitive, chipped, cracked, loose teeth. Like I never experienced any of that, but I did get the really sore tired jaw. And Madeline actually said she was a clencher. And before she had a splint or studied dentistry to understand what was going on, she used to avoid eating things like steak or sourdough bread because the chewing was too much and her jaw would get really, really sore just from the chewing, which I can totally relate to because that's happened to me as well. Sometimes when I'm eating a piece of bread, I'm like, oh, when's this going to be over? Like it's uh, starting to hurt. So it can also lead to, as I said, the the chipped and cracked teeth, but you can also get the headaches and jaw aches and general tooth wear, but also that enlarged jaw muscle, which if you think of like Brad Pitt clenching down, you know, that like really, Mm, (laughs) like you get quite a squared off jaw, but over a long period of time, people that do grind can get that enlarged jaw muscle there. And so there's a few different ways that you can treat teeth grinding. And as we said, Botox is one of them. Now that's not necessarily suitable for everyone, but what happens is you inject the Botox into the masseter muscle, which is that muscle that you can feel when you clench your jaw. And that kind of disables that muscle and relaxes it so that you can no longer really clench down super hard on it. But a secondary effect of that, apart from helping the grinding, it actually does also slim out the jawline as well, which you can really notice quite drastically in some people. I've seen some like hectic before and afters of that, but it is like sometimes used as a cosmetic thing, but also for the grinding. And then also a splint. They'd have to use a lot of Botox though, wouldn't they? They'd be like a lot of mills. Good question. I'm not sure how much they use. It would depend on the injector. Yeah. So I believe that it's a very, like, I don't think it's a super cheap option. Oh no, 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 (laughs) definitely not. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it definitely wouldn't be cheap, but if you were really struggling with it and a splint, which is like a custom made night guard for your teeth, if that wasn't working for you, then you could opt for 
looking into Botox and asking your dentist about it, which you should always do to make sure that it's the right thing for you. But the splint protects your teeth by stopping the tooth on tooth action from the clenching and grinding. So that helps to reduce and balance the amount of force on your teeth. So it takes off that pressure that you're you're putting on your teeth. And then another thing that she also mentioned was physio or osteo. So she often discusses that with her patients who are experiencing that real jaw pain and getting the headaches and stuff. Um, and I did also read, remember how we did that episode with Nicola Joss about the facial massage? I learned that apparently like head and neck physios do a lot of that massage technique and even go like inside your mouth sometimes to reduce things like TMJ, which which can be related to grinding and that kind of stuff. So there's a few different options there. I personally just went out of that really stressful period and you know, came through the other side and I just stopped doing it. But if you find that it's just like persistent and ongoing, I think for some people it's just, it never goes away. Like they just continually do it. I don't know if that means they're always like stressed, but for me, it was just for that small period of time and I didn't really need to do anything about it. But I think being aware that there are some like quite big side effects from it on your teeth, just to be aware of it if it is ongoing and you're waking up with that headache. Because mm. oh, sometimes I'd wake up in the morning and just be like, oh, my God, I can't. Mm. Like it hurts so much. Um, and just that really sore jaw as well. I think anyone who's experienced it before will understand exactly what I'm talking about. I'm surprised you haven't experienced it though because you've had so many issues with your sleep. <laughs> I've had two issues. One is like my gums. I haven't been flo- I haven't flossed enough. Oh, that's right. You said something about that before. I basically was having real issues. If you've had braces, you'll know that you get the plates the permanent plates mm. put in and I was finding that that was kind of like giving like it, I find it, I was finding them a bit irritating I'd had them on for like 10 yeah. years or something so I had them taken out and like within a couple of months my teeth started to move like the bottom oh, teeth. I did the same thing last year and my teeth completely moved <laughs> well I then straight away went back to the orthodontist had them put back in oh really but the issue with them is that you can't like you've got to get this special floss that you like you thread it through it is so oh, uncomfortable that's why I had mine removed because I was like I can't I can't floss my teeth properly my front teeth were getting sensitive from it I think yeah so I had it taken off well oh I didn't know you could get floss for I, it I really find that flossing to be a really and I don't know if anyone else experiences this but it's quite a bloody affair. Yeah. I don't think I go that hard. <laughs> I, I don't know what, uh, am I doing that's something? Some people get bloodier gums than others. Anyway, so that's, look, I've got, I don't have this issue specifically, but you all know that I had an extra tooth growing in the middle of my palate. So, <laughs> which I had I to get I feel like removed. another topic we should talk about is taking out like your retainer or your Invisalign or your splint in the morning. Like that disgusting. Oh, Do you remember having yes. your retainer when you got your braces off? That was yep. foul. And I feel like people that are currently doing Invisalign and stuff will definitely relate to that. So maybe retainer smell is another cringy combo for another day. Oh, that is so <laughs> cringy. Please yes. let us know if you'd like us to do that. We'll get a guest on or someone that has experienced that. Today's guest is here to talk to us about scalp issues, which Hannah, we've both experienced at some point. We've had discussions about dandruff and scalp problems before. Our guest today is dermatologist Dr. Leona Yip from Skin Partners in Brisbane. Leona, a lot of us probably haven't thought about it this way, but our scalp is essentially an extension of our face, isn't it? So how important is scalp care and scalp health? Uh, thanks for having me in your show. 
Yes, this is actually a topic that's not been talked about enough. And the scalp is actually quite similar to the scalp skin in that the pH level of 5.5, they do share this similarly slightly acidic pH. The scalp also has a high concentration of hair follicles, sweat glands, oil glands that produce sebum. The main difference is there's actually no underlying muscles under the scalp, unlike on the face where you've got muscles for facial expression, to talk and to chew. And that's why you get deep wrinkles because that reflects that dynamic movement of these muscles. So therefore, you don't tend to get deeper wrinkles on the scalp surface. Now, conditions that affect the facial skin can also commonly affect the scalp, such as eczema, psoriasis, seborrheic acne and folliculitis. So yes, looking after the scalp is just as important as facial skin. That's so interesting. I never thought about it that way with the lack of muscles <laughs> on your scalp. So um, if our scalp is in bad shape, what kind of issues might we be experiencing? So when the scalp's unhealthy, I think we can broadly classify this into four main causes. The first is when there's a scalp barrier dysfunction problem. And what this means is if the oil seal on the scalp made up of barrier proteins and lipids like ceramides, for example, if that's not working properly, the scalp tends to be prone to dryness, flaking and some irritation. And that could lead to conditions like scalp eczema. And the second broad cause that's quite common is immune-mediated inflammation that could lead to conditions such as scalp psoriasis. And the third broad cause is an abnormality in the scalp microbiome balance. So this could lead to conditions like scalp dandruff and seborrheic dermatitis and folliculitis, for example. And lastly, sun damage. So this is something that I find a lot of people don't tend to think about. Lots of people do not think about wearing hats. And it's really important because sun can cause this generalized redness on the scalp that can be stingy or burning or itchy. It can also cause sunspots and skin cancers in the longer term. Now, scalp conditions that are not treated can lead to symptoms like itching and burning, like I've said before, um, but also it could lead to hair shedding, more generalized shedding. And in areas of the scalp, say, for example, localized eczema, localized psoriasis that's not treated, you could also get patchy hair loss in these particular areas. Mm. Joe, have you experienced a, I've had a burnt scalp. Oh, I wear hats the now. The burnt part is the worst. Oh my God. How bad is it? But then the peeling and yes. the flaking afterwards. Oh yeah. my God. So I, I I loved that you said that about hats because I feel like on this podcast, we talk a lot about wearing sunscreen on your face. And then we actually forget that we also need to protect our scalp because I can imagine that it would be much harder to, to uncover, I guess, moles in your scalp? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I see lots of, I see skin checks day in, day out to check for skin cancers. And lots of people say to me, why are you looking at my scalp? But people don't realize that maybe when they were a child, the hairs were parted differently. So the hair part gets a lot of sun. And as people get older, they start to lose a little bit more hair and more of that protection. So, and people can also get melanomas. 5% of melanomas can appear in areas without previous sun exposure. So you, yes, you can get skin cancers on the scalp and looking after it is really important. And also one point that people often don't think about is excessive sun exposure can damage your hair structure also. And that's one thing to think about. It prematurely aids just your scalp skin as well as your hairs. Oh, so interesting. You mentioned dandruff. What are the best ways to treat scalp flakiness caused by general dandruff? What causes dandruff firstly, I think it's an important point to understand so we know how to treat it. Dandruff is caused by an abnormal scalp microbiome. So the yeast called malassezia, which is part of the scalp microbiome, there's an overgrowth of this on the scalp that causes that flaking 
that you see is dandruff. So when we treat it, it's twofold. The first is to try and control the proportions of this yeast using anti-dandruff shampoos with anti-yeast ingredients. And the second component of treatment is to try and control or remove that scaling problem. And we do that by using chemical exfoliants such as tar-based shampoos and salicylic acid creams. In mild cases, these products would be enough without seeing a doctor, but for more severe or long-standing cases, I would strongly suggest for people to see their GP or see a dermatologist for stronger prescription-based treatments that can help you. And you mentioned um, dermatitis and psoriasis as some common scalp issues. What's the difference between those two and, and do you treat them differently? Seborrheic dermatitis and psoriasis are actually uh, two of the common conditions that we see in our specialty, and they both can look quite similar. They both present with scaling and crusting, as well as underlying scalp inflammation. Often they can be easily told apart with trained eyes, but sometimes there can be an overlap of these two conditions, and then it is called SIBO psoriasis. Seborrheic dermatitis, if you imagine cradle cap in a baby, that's usually how it would look like yellowy, sticky scales and crusts that are quite difficult to remove from the scalp and underlying that would be some scalp inflammation. Separate dermatitis also affects the T-zone of the face, if you like. So skin between the eyebrows and the eyebrows themselves, as well as that crease beside your nose where it meets your cheeks and the beard area. For psoriasis, the scales tend to be silvery white in colour. It could be powdery and often it can also be sheets of silvery white scales that you can peel from the scale. Underlying these scales that are also sticky, there would be scalp inflammation. And psoriasis tends to be a more widespread condition that can affect other areas of your skin. How we treat these conditions there are two broad components. The first is to remove as much of the scaling and crusting as possible, because if we don't, that second component of treatment will not work well. And that second component is to treat the underlying inflammation. So coming back to the first, which is removing scaling, we use chemical exfoliating treatments, either tar-based or salicylic acid-based products. For treating underlying inflammation, we generally would start off with topical steroids, usually lotions on the scalp, especially when they're hairs. And these products are usually prescribed by your GP or your dermatologist. In severe cases, we would need to use tablet treatments. And this is something that your doctor should be able to discuss with you. Okay. And as a dermatologist, which ingredients do you find are best and worst for the scalp? That is a very good question. And I wish I knew the answer, but unfortunately, <laughs> in reality, unlike skincare products, there's not that much robust research out there about what is best for your scalp. What are the best scalp cosmeceuticals, so to speak? And therefore, it's really difficult to recommend because there really isn't that evidence-based. The important thing to know is we have to try and restore the skin barrier function as much as possible, just like for the skin. So that helps to prevent scalp dryness and scalp flaking and irritation. And in fact, scalp dryness is probably one of the commonest incidental observations that I see examining scalps in most of my patients. So if you could get products, firstly, which are more pH neutral or slightly acidic between pH 4 to 7, that would be more within the natural environment for the scalp and your hairs. So besides preventing scalp dryness and flaking, your hairs also prefer products that are slightly acidic. And so that would help reduce hair friction and frizz. 
If you could find products with ingredients such as ceramides, which are natural skin lipids, as well as niacinamide, which is vitamin B3, these ingredients can help restore skin barrier function. And niacinamide also has anti-inflammatory properties. In terms of products that are worse for the scalp, so to speak, or that we do not usually recommend, are products which have essential oils as well as fragrances. Now, as a general rule for the scalp and skin, dermatologists would recommend that people stick to products that are hypoallergenic, fragrance-free, and non-comedogenic. And non-comedogenic just means it does not clog the skin pores. Essential oils, despite it being marketed as natural and safe, we commonly see people's skin and scalp getting sensitized to these natural fragrances and essences and oils that unfortunately end up causing allergic reactions on the scalp and therefore it's best avoided and also avoiding really greasy and thick formulations that can clog the skin pores and the hair follicles on the scalp that can lead to conditions like acne and folliculitis. Mm. Now on to, I guess, what I'm really, really interested to know, which is about growing healthy hair. So I'm at the moment, as Joe knows, the last time I tried to grow my hair, it was a total mess. It was like dead. It was like dead hair, basically. Are there any methods you recommend for, you know, stimulating or encouraging that healthy hair growth? Looking after your scalp itself is incredibly important because that's where your blood flow comes from. That's where your hair follicles actually live. So if there's any underlying scalp inflammation or scalp conditions, make sure that's treated optimally. And if it's lingering, it will go on to affect your hairs. So don't delay seeking medical help from your GP or from a dermatologist if your scalp condition does not get better because there is a flow-on effect to your hairs. So how about procedures? Microneedling is quite an interesting one, which um, I think is helpful for some people. There is a small body of evidence that would support microneedling as a procedure to stimulate hair growth. And what this procedure involves is using a little device with tiny little needles to cause wound microchannels on the scalp. And by causing these little micro wounds, the surrounding skin through the wound healing process releases growth factors and uh, chemicals that can stimulate hair growth. Procedures such as lasers. I know some clinics around the world, around Australia, offer laser treatments to promote hair growth. But the problem with this is there are many types of laser devices and a lot of them also emit different energy levels and therefore results can be quite variable and results really differ significantly from person to person. And the interesting procedure, PRP, that's platelet-rich plasma, that is really the hype and lots of people know about it. They do ask me about it. This is a relatively new procedure that's only been used to treat hair loss in the recent few years. I would say it's more an adjuvant treatment rather than a mainstream treatment. Again, it doesn't work for everybody. And the reason why it doesn't work is because it's really dependent on who does the treatment, also what machines they have and how frequently they inject. So there's a lot of variation in it and therefore results are also very different from person to person. Medications is the last thing I want to touch on. By far, this is probably the method that offers most consistent and reliable results. Medication to treat hair loss are, again, twofold. Number one is to prevent further shedding and further thinning. And the second is to promote regrowth. 
And these are usually either tablet-based medicines or topical treatments that can be applied to the scalp. And this would need to be discussed with your dermatologist because it would also depend on whether it is safe for you to take depending on your health issues. Now, we've spoken on a previous episode with a trichologist about hair loss and you've mentioned hair loss a little bit in that previous answer. But do you have any advice for anyone that's currently experiencing postpartum hair loss? Postpartum and patent hair loss are two separate conditions, but commonly we see them overlap. Postpartum hair loss, for those of you who are not aware, that causes reactive shedding, which is temporary, and that's called telogen effluvium. We also see telogen effluvium as a reaction to stress, such as psychological stress or physical stress on the body, like illnesses and surgery, for example. Postpartum hair loss tends to happen two to three months after childbirth, and the shedding can last for a few months before things stabilize and the hair start to re grow again. When hairs regrow, normally it grows one centimeter a month. So to grow a fringe, this would take you a year. To get to hair length, which is much longer, it would take you quite a few years. And so for those people, those women who undergo successive pregnancies and successive childbirth, before your hairs can fully recover to the length that it was before, if you keep getting successive shedding, then obviously that is just going to affect how it recovers and it may never recover fully. Moreover, there are many people who are prone genetically to develop hair thinning. That can start at any age and often we would see overlap between hair shedding postpartum shedding, as well as pattern hair loss. Pattern hair loss presents with thinning of the hair, widening of the hairline, and your hair diameters will appear and feel finer and thinner than what they used to be. Now, it can also present with episodic bursts of shedding. So shedding on its own, you can't really tell the difference sometimes, whether it's postpartum or pattern hair loss, and you may need to be assessed by a dermatologist. For those who are quite happy that their shedding is settling after about six to nine months after childbirth, no treatment is usually needed. But if you feel that it's not fully recovered and your hair, your ponytail volume, which is a good measure of recovery in the longer term, if you feel that this is not what it used to be and you're starting to be concerned about this, a dermatologist or other professionals like trichologists may be able to help you. For pattern hair loss, this is a condition which is gradually progressive. You're not going to go bald. And this is a this is one thing in the world, very rarely that people can say you're guaranteed not to go bald with pattern hair loss. Unlike in men, you do get patches of baldness, but not in women. So with the pattern hair loss problem, it's over years or over months rather than over weeks. If you would like to treat this, it usually would be tablet-based medicines in the longer term. Mm, all really interesting information. I just want to know what some of your favourite scalp and hair products are. <laughs> That's a really uh, good question. Um, or what, what would you use on yourself? <laughs> as a specialist, it's difficult for me to recommend brands, but it's also equally difficult if I don't mention brand names that can help people look for products that suit their scalp. I myself use L'Oreal. I'm not paid to say the name. Uh, L'Oreal <laughs> has got certain ranges, either commercially available through supermarkets or they have got professional ranges like the L'Oreal Professional and L'Oreal Kerastars range that have more specific products that are suited to different scalp and different hair types. So that's one range that people can explore. Again, just like skincare, it's really difficult to recommend products 
because everyone's scalp's different. Well, no, I, I think you're right because I use I use Kerastase and actually we had a trichologist on the podcast who recommended Kerastase too. So I was just interested to know if you would say that without me asking because I was like, <laughs> few, I was like, phew, because I've used Kerastase. I like that their range has different ranges for different concerns. And so depending on what concerns I've had, I've like, you know, used different products. So good to know. Thank you. <laughs> Awesome. Thanks for your time today, Leona. It was nice to chat to you. Bye. Product we didn't know we needed. Hannah, what is yours today? Well, I'm actually have run out of product. So I'm doing... (laughs) Never thought that day would arrive. (laughs) So Joe and I went to this like breakfast morning with Aveda to launch their new repair range, which by the way, I've tried the mask and I love it, but we don't actually sell the product I'm going to be talking about. (laughs) Chemist Warehouse might have it. (laughs) No, I don't think they definitely don't. (laughs) They don't. don't. (laughs) I'm actually... So what happened was we got this like beautiful box of the botanical repair range, which I'm using at the moment. Love it. But we also got as part of that pack, we got some tea. And so I don't really drink tea, but my dad is like a tea fanatic. Like he loves tea, I think more than you, Joe. So I gave him the tea and I was like, look, I don't really drink tea. I just gave it to him, not thinking he'd do anything about it. But anyway, he sent me an email (laughs) (laughs) with the line, hi, everyone. Did he expect you to read it out on the podcast? What did he think you were going to put like a review on the side? I've copied and pasted it. You you can see how long it is. Yeah. So basically the product I didn't know I needed is my dad's and it's for yeah. the Aveda Comforting Tea. So he said, if you're a tea fan like me and spend hundreds of dollars a year at T2 and scan supermarket shelves and groceries for exciting new tea blends to get your thrills, then you'll know that it isn't easy finding something that you like. So the challenge is getting flavor, comfort and satisfaction. I get so bored with virtually (laughs) tasteless teas. Let's take lemongrass and ginger, typically available along with chamomile at your local cafe. You can barely taste it. They never use enough. It's insipid. You might as well pay $4 for a cup of hot water. I totally agree with that. So then he says, so it was great to test Aveda's new comforting tea. He says, it has a prominent nutrition label, which is a bit pointless since really, since it has no nutritional value whatsoever. (laughs) Every single one says zero, zero protein, (laughs) sugar, carbs, fat, salt. There is literally nothing in this product. (laughs) Because it contains licorice, there's a warning that if you are pregnant, you should avoid excessive consumption. Who knew herbal teas could be so dangerous? So that's his It was a very, very, very long review. I love that. The summary is that he loves it. Amazing. He was very surprised and refreshed. And yeah, so I didn't really have much else. I mean, really, it was a bit of a shout out to Aveda's Botanical Repair Range. But also to Rob, because I feel he doesn't get as much attention as Linda on this podcast. And I think maybe he just... He just saw an opening for himself and he thought, totally, I'm going to take it. Totally. Yeah. Do you know what's so funny is, is I'll get a message from Megan who manages our Instagram account and she'll be like, there'll be like 50 notifications from my dad's Instagram account. Like he's liked the last 50 posts from Adore Beauty in a row. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like clocking up our, like our notifications. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was a very long and convoluted product, but thanks, Dad. Yeah, love it. Thank you for the comprehensive review. It's very much appreciated. (laughs) So my product this week is 
a candle. Now, this candle is limited edition because it is one of the Glasshouse Halloween candles. It's the Spellbound candle. Love. I mean, I might be wrong here, but I think they usually only do one limited edition Halloween candle, but this year they've done two. And I really, really love this one. I think you said you like the pumpkin pie one recently, didn't you? Pumpkin pie. Yes. Yeah. So I remembered you saying that recently. I don't know if it was on here or if it was just we were talking about it separately. But anyway, I got the other one and it is exactly the kind of candle that I go for. And when I went and looked at the description, I was like, that makes total sense. It says a smoky floral and burnt ember candle. And that is exactly the kind of thing that it explains the kind of candle that I like. So it's got base notes of leather, vanilla, and patchouli, and then um, heart notes of amber, violet, and peony, and head notes of peach and plum. I don't know what any of that really means. Like go back and listen to our episode with Michael Edwards to learn a bit more about fragrance, but it does have a little bit of floralness to it when you light it, but it's also got that like woody almost masculine as well at the same time. It is a beautiful candle. It has really nice packaging as well. It's kind of like a cosmic themed, but yeah, it is limited edition. So get your hands on it while you can. Um, And if you're listening to this, you know, in your year's time, then you're probably not going to be able to get it. But yeah, that's my top tip to you. Nice. I had a screenshot of someone who sent me a message about Remember how we had that conversation about hot man smell? Yeah. Did someone tell you what it was? Yeah. She collects fragrances. Hey, just finishing listening to your episode, I collect fragrances as a hobby. We call Mm. barbershop fragrance as fuguer. What the hell's fuguer? Let me just double check that. (laughs) How's it spelled? F-O-U-G-E-R-E. Pronounced fuguer. Fuguer. Got it. It comes from the French language for fern. Ah. So it's actually a fragrance. Really? The hot man smells actually a fragrance. Yeah, here we go. So she says it's a combination of lavender, oak moss and coumarin. I don't know how to say these words. All right. (laughs) That's the hot man smell. I'm so glad we got to the bottom of this. There's certain fragrances that fall into that. It says here, I'm just on Wikipedia, by the way. This is this is not from yep. some scientific <laughs> journal about fragrance. It's just Wikipedia. Oh, it's Wikipedia, not a scientific journal. Yeah. <laughs> Eternity for Men by Calvin Klein, Boss mm. by Hugo Boss. Oh, okay. Then definitely. Dolce & Gabbana, Pochrom. Yeah. Yeah. So basically that's the smell. Okay. Yeah. And it means fern in French. Well, now we can start using the proper name instead of saying hot, hot man, man smell. smell. I prefer hot yeah. man smell. So that's just Same. me though. <laughs> Actually, you know what I did? I did screenshot another DM that we got to both of us. Yeah. And she wrote, a bit random, but I thought you guys might appreciate my beautiful 100-year-old great nana's skin. She told me to tell you ladies to stay out of the sun and wear SPF, which I know you already do. Back then, obviously, she didn't cleanse or use face oils. However, it just goes to show how much SPF and staying out of the sun Mm. does. P.S. This photo was taken on her 100th birthday and no Botox. She's turning 101 in January. And she attached a photo of her nana and it is so cute. So shout out to um, Charlie's nana. Oh, love that. Anyway, that pretty much wraps us up for today, I think, Hannah. Bye, guys. See you next week. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also, we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. Bye.